Hey, welcome to After Church Apologetics. I'm Courtney Seacrest here with Dr. Chris Jakeway and Pastor Leo Wilson, and we're inviting you to join us today in uncovering the truths that will challenge, inspire, and expand your perspective on Christianity. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to After Church Apologetics. Today we're going to be talking about demons. So the question that was submitted says, are demons real? Can they possess people? Can a Christian become possessed? Well, this is a a big area and a lot of questions come up here. Biblically, of course, demons are real. They're fallen angels and, and can take possession of unbelievers. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis had a great point when he said that people tend to fall into one of two opposite extremes when it comes to demons. Mm -hmm. One is to just disregard it entirely. It's just a big nothing and, you know, it's all fictional. The other error would be to become obsessed with it. I was at a church once where they were claiming to cast demons out of furniture and so on. I mean, you know, it can get wacky really fast. Lewis's point was this. Satan is equally pleased by both of those errors Mm. when Christians become obsessed with it or when people dismiss it as as a big nothing. Clearly, biblically, demons are real, and uh, we see examples of possession in Scripture. Uh, Can a Christian become possessed? Absolutely not. Uh, It was Neil Anderson and that book, The Bondage Breaker, and other authors, you know, 30 years ago that started popularizing this. He said they can manipulate people through the central nervous system, and that would be internal. He tried to steer clear of the word possession because he knew people might be a little freaked out by that, but uh, uh, made it plain, and many other authors have, that Christians can uh, uh, have demons in them. Uh, Everybody now is, uh, you know, being uh, exercised, even Christians. Well, what would we say about this? First, the believer's body is the temple of the Lord, that God's dwelling place on earth has shifted from the architectural temple to the bodily temple. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. God's temple is sacred. You are that temple. Well, that goes with the point Jesus makes about how a divided house cannot stand, right? His point there was that a divided house, uh, a house can't have opposing spirits. Oh, this is when he was accused of casting out demons because he was a demon, right? Right, and Mark 3.25, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So uh, a demon and the Holy Spirit can't occupy the same person. We'd also want to make the point that a resident must be bound before his house can be overtaken. This is the illustration Jesus uses just a couple verses later in Mark 3.27. You might remember this one. No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Well, when Satan is the strong man resident, only Jesus has the power to overtake the house. 
But the opposite doesn't work. Satan can't overpower the Holy Spirit to take the house. So this idea that someone who's genuinely a believer can be possessed by Satan is just false. This is also why when Paul talks about the armor of God, the whole point of that illustration is it's because Satan is outside us. Uh, armor doesn't protect from an internal enemy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our foe is external. So Paul talks about armor protecting the wearer from outside enemies. I think 2 Corinthians uh, 2.11 is appropriate here also because believers understand how Satan operates. It's not mysterious. Scripture explains it. God has given us revelation on this. In order, Paul says, that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What are those schemes? Well, there are false prophets, false teachers, false doctrine, idolatry, deception, temptation. The Bible has a great deal to say about how Satan operates, but it does not say one single word about believers having demons inside them. And if that is one of Satan's schemes, and Paul says we're not unaware of the schemes, why would Scripture be silent on it? I mean, this is something very significant. Uh, if it's true, it would seem like Scripture would say something about it. But in all of Paul's letters, there's no mention of demons inside believers. Yeah. That's very odd if it's a reality for Christians. The reason for it, I think, is because demons are too afraid to be in the presence of God. We see this trembling in Jesus's first encounter with demons. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, you might remember this passage. Uh, verse 28 says, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men come from the tombs to meet him. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? They so feared Jesus's power that they thought they were about to be tortured. And by referring to the appointed time, it means they already know they're defeated. They were so afraid of Jesus's divine presence that all they could do is beg. Yeah. You know, demons are petrified of anything divine. They can't stand to be in any place if the presence of God is there, and that includes the body of a believer. So we have no reason from Scripture to believe that demons uh, would dwell in the same place as the Holy Spirit. Demons want to be as far from God as possible. This is why spiritual warfare comes down to this in James 4, 7. We're told to resist evil, not cast demons out of ourselves. You know, think about all the formulas for spiritual warfare out there. The Bible brings it down to a single line. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, uh, it's actually pretty simple. First Peter 5, 8, uh, be controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around, uh, uh, not prowls inside you, but around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. This is why Paul says, don't get the devil a foothold. Yeah. If it was going to be, you know, 
an example of something that can get inside you, maybe he would have said a tapeworm. But he said lion. <laughs> yep, that's that's a strong use of the word. Well, you know the the, the other thing, and I'll I'll just finish with this uh, uh, last one here that believers are protected. Uh, this is a promise we see in Scripture, and demons can't control them because Jesus keeps us safe. And First John five eighteen, the one who has been born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. That's really clear. Uh, so if somebody really is being possessed by a demon, then that person isn't a believer, even though maybe that person thought he was or other people thought that person was. Paul says in Romans 8, 9, you, talking to believers, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature of the Spirit, uh, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Jesus prayed that the Father would protect us from Satan. You know, in John 17, 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I don't think it's likely Jesus would mislead us by preaching a false protection. Um, finally, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, Paul confirms our protection here. The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So biblically, I, I don't see any way that it's possible for a Christian, for someone who truly possesses the Holy Spirit, to be demon-possessed. I think there's a couple of things here. You know, once again, this question about what's behind the question two things that come off the top of my head. The first one is studies have shown that, and you can even see movies trending this way. We have a very interested society in the idea of the supernatural, the spiritual world. You just see so much with movies and people wanting to watch things about the supernatural. Like almost we are designed to understand that there's more to life than this, you know? And with that, I think there's this pursuit and we like it to be mystical there's this whole concept right now with the idea of what I call like a control problem. And that is that people don't want to say that they're sinners, right? It's not their fault. The devil made me do it, you know, or it's like, I, I, there's something not right with me. There's something outside of me that's causing me because it's not me. It can't be my flesh. It can't be my sinful nature. It has to be more than that because I'm a Christian after all. And so we want to blame, we want to blame something. This is as time honored as back in Adam and Eve, where he wants to blame the woman that you gave me. So I, I think there's a draw towards that. Chris, what are your responses to people, especially present day with like this whole deliverance concept? There's a movie out right now talking about people needing to be delivered from these spiritual oppressions. Like they're, let's say, if you don't have to say possessed, but like that they're being tormented. I think your scripture passages have already answered that, but if you were to summarize and point those out, where would you see like the philosophical flaws in that reasoning? Yeah, I, I think you have to ignore a lot of scripture to hold that view. And I'd go back to the C.S. Lewis thing. I saw online recently where a pastor was casting a demon uh, out of a pasta bowl. Now, Did you say pasta bowl? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what sort of demon-possessed ravioli. I, I don't know what was involved there. Well, but. in a lot of these movies, it all starts when you go to a garage sale and you buy 
like an ominous music box (laughs) (laughs) or like some kind of artifact and then you bring it home and it's attached to the artifact. So maybe that's where it came from. In this case, a pasta bowl. And again, we don't want to say that we're dismissing the reality of the demonic realm and possession, but this idea that believers can be uh, possessed Tempted, sure. That's why we're told not to give the devil a foothold. But uh, there's so much extremism on this. And the downside of that is it causes people to dismiss all of it. Uh, Like it's an all or nothing thing. Um, I was at a a prayer meeting once where we were asked to go to different, uh, this was many years ago, go to different parts of the church and I was asked to block the doors on one side of the building, and we were supposed to pray to uh, prevent demons from getting in because the pastor had seen a giant uh, demon sitting on the uh, roof of the building. Well, I said, even during the meeting, and people are very emotional about it, I said, you know, am I the only one who wonders why a spirit being would have to use a door to get into the building. And, uh, you know, when you say that, then you just kind of look like you're not as spiritual or not as aware as uh, other people. And this is the problem with these extremist things, I think. I remember one time years ago I came to you. I was just starting to attend some church activities, and there was a guy that was praying, and he started to pray, and he was praying like, Satan, I bind thee. Satan, you cannot do this to thee. And it struck me as really odd. And I came back to you and I'm like, hey, why does this bother me so much? And you remember how you answered that? I don't remember my exact words, but uh, I think it bothers you because it's dumb. (laughs) Uh, Because it's prayer. Why would we be talking to Satan during prayer for a while years ago? And I see this making a bit of a comeback this whole binding Satan thing, uh, we come against thee, Satan, we bind you, Satan. Well, part of me wonders, for all these people binding Satan, who keeps letting him loose? Uh, the Bible makes it very clear when and by whom Satan will be bound. It won't be now, and it won't be by any of us. Read Revelation 20, a single angel will do this in the future. For all these people binding Satan, I don't know if they're just not uh, aware of that passage or think they, I mean, if we're able to do that, let's just do it and be done with sin for good. It's just become this trendy thing to say. It is very trendy. It's on t-shirts. Not today, Satan. Oh, yeah. And and I was just talking to Chris and Leo earlier about how it's it's getting to uh, become more prevalent in Christian music. There's a song called Not Today, Satan songs that are addressing the devil. I just think it's weird. It's creepy. Yeah, I think just Chris mentioned it already, but James 4, 7, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 8 follows with, I think, the better solution, which is like, you know, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And mm-hmm. and that's the example. We shouldn't be praying and talking to Satan. If you want to, if you're concerned about something spiritually, talk directly to God, draw near to him. So, just to end this on a lighter note, because I'm recalling a funny story that Chris has told years ago. Can you ta- can you tell the get thee behind me story with the street preacher that oh, yelled yeah. at you? 
That's my favorite one. He uh, uh, was just screaming at people, and uh, I went up to try to uh, kind of reason with him a little bit, and uh, uh, that was when he said the... uh, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. And so uh, um, I wanted to just step behind him and keep talking, but uh, <laughs> completely out of context of that verse. Thanks for hanging out with us on After Church Apologetics today. To submit a question for a future episode of our show, you can email us at podcast at bcfriends.org. Remember, the pursuit of truth is ongoing, so we'd like to encourage you to continue seeking and engaging with the topics that we've discussed for yourselves. And as we conclude this episode, we want to remind you that respectful dialogue can bridge gaps and build connections. We'll see you next time.